If I knew that working with the board was going to be this difficult, I don't think I would have taken the job. Well, I don't think I would have taken the job for this amount of money. <laughs> Can you help? My board is making me crazy. Let's talk about common mistakes that boards make and how to overcome them. Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. Well, I've gotten that kind of phone call dozens of times in the last couple of years. In fact, at one point recently, we sat back and counted how many boards that we've had a chance to work with over the years. And we stopped counting at about 1,200. <laughs> so we've had a chance to work with 1,200 or more different boards across the United States. For-profit boards and not-for-profit boards alike. Elected boards and appointed boards. We've had a chance to work with a lot of really healthy boards and a lot of boards that were not very healthy. Some of them were able to turn around and some of them not. Of course, what conversation about a board would be any good without lighting a big old cigar? <laughs> Don't you just kind of have a, a mental picture of boards sitting in board rooms and everyone smoking cigars and sipping bourbon or something like that? Well, that seems to fit the podcast that we have got set up for you today. So today's cigar that I'm going to enjoy is called a Diesel Whiskey Row Cigar. And to be honest, it's a little bit disappointing. <laughs> oh, it's a cigar that is, it is mostly Connecticut broadleaf wrapper. It's about five and a half inches long, I think, and about a 52 ring gauge. The one I've got here, that's called a Robusto size. This cigar came out probably four or five years ago, the first wave of this, and folks got super excited about it. And just recently, I was given two five packs of these cigars. They are, they're fine. They're just fine, but they're just slightly disappointing <laughs> because all the hype about them is that they've got Brazilian tobacco in them, which is always good. And there's a Nicaraguan tobacco, which is also very, very good. But then they are aged in sherry casks. So you would think they would pick up a bit of the flavor of that, but to me, they don't. So I would have expected a bit of a taste of sherry from the sherry cask, but it doesn't come through at all. Instead, I find some kind of a notes of pepper when I smoke this cigar. But anyway, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, I'm glad I didn't go out and buy a big box of these and uh, expect them to be wonderful. But they're a gift and I won't look a gift cigar in the mouth. <laughs> They're just, they're just okay, right? Mm -hmm. Mostly pepper. A little bit of, um, some little bit of a sweetness in there, but lots of smoke. If you were sitting right here with me, and I wish you were sitting right over there in that chair, I'd give you one of these and see what you think. Maybe my pollen-infused sinuses today, because we have got the highest pollen count I think I've ever seen. It's more pollen than oxygen outside. <laughs> 
But maybe my pollen-infused sinuses are changing a little bit of what I think of this cigar. But uh, I'm going to enjoy it anyway. It just won't enjoy it as much as some of the other ones that I've had. And we're also going to have with it some Willet Rye. Willet is a cool kind of company. It's a family estate. This is a small batch rye, and it is, they call it hand-bottled. I don't even know what that means. It's aged in hand-selected white oak barrels for four years. So four years is the age statement on it. It's pretty good. They call it a rare release. This has got a 55% alcohol by volume, which is 110 proof. It's a very pretty bottle, kind of an old school bottle. And I've had a little bit of this before about uh, two or three weeks ago. And that was before my sinuses got filled up with pollen. So let's see if, let's see if I can still taste this really well. Pour just a little bit, one ice cube, just to cool it off for a moment. It's very pretty stuff. Oh yes. That is wonderful. Yep, that just tells me that the cigar is not very good <laughs> because I can taste literally everything that's in this really good Willet rye. I highly recommend this. It's a little on the pricey side for a rye. I think it's about $60 a bottle plus taxes. And in Washington state, the taxes are quite high for alcohol. So I probably got out the door with this at about, I don't know, maybe maybe about $75 for this. So this is a bottle that I will drink very slowly and share with special friends. And it'll take a long time to drink it, but it's good stuff. I really like this. It's kind of floral, a little botanical. It's got some, some sweet scents to it. Picking up a little bit of, well, this is weird, a little bit of... Uh, you know, if you get uh, popcorn that's been caramelized, it's like that. It's like that smell to it. It's pretty good. Pretty good. The taste is, it's got that spicy rye, but it's not rye forward. It doesn't hit you really hard. It doesn't hit me really hard with the rye right up front, but it's got a little bit of a raisin kind of a taste to it. I can pick up green tea and raisin in it along with, now there's the rye. There's the rye. Great stuff. Good. I wish you were here. I'd share some of this great stuff with you. It's really pretty too. I poured about a shot in there because I want to be able to talk with you today about boards. So let's get right into it. I want to share with you today some common mistakes that boards make and common mistakes we make in working with boards. Perhaps uh, you are uh, a person who is thinking a little bit about being on a board. Maybe someone has reached out to you and said, will you join our board? Or maybe you are already on a board or have been on them in the past. Maybe you work for a board. Maybe you are the kind of organization that has a, a for-profit board or a board of directors or a board in a not-for-profit environment. So I want to be able to share with you some of the lessons that we have learned learned over the years and then put into practice ourselves so that you have a really, really good board relationship. So right up front, let me suggest that if this is worthwhile to you, that you share it with members of your board, or if you have a board that you work for, that you share this with them so that you can all be on the same page. And you don't have to agree, of course, with everything, but this will be a great place for you to have a starting conversation. You know well that leadership matters. And I say this all the time, that leadership isn't everything, but it is the first thing. <laughs> leaders get there first, and then excellent leaders are followed. But so are bad leaders. And so if you're considering being a part of a board or renewing your participation in the board, here are six questions that I always recommend that you ask and answer clearly. Number one, are you thoroughly aligned with the mission of the organization? If there is no mission or if the mission is unclear and you can't just repeat it from memory, there's a problem. A missionless organization will create a missionless board and you'll find yourself swirling around, wasting all 
kinds of time. Here's your second question. When you look at the makeup of the board that someone has asked you to join or you're considering continuing your participation as a part of, ask yourself this question. Do I add something unique to the board or are there a bunch of other people who think like I think already and uh, add the perspective that I already have? So if so, then you're going to be redundant on that board and it will be a waste of your time or someone else's. Here's the third question. Are you willing to invest in that organization? If it's a for-profit organization and you're a board member, it would make sense that you are a person who would be willing, if you were not a board member, to invest in that organization. Could you buy stocks? Would you be willing to buy stocks in that organization? If it's a not-for-profit board, are you willing to spend money to give money to that organization? doesn't mean you do so right up front. You might, if you're brand new to the organization and to board membership, you may want to watch for a while, maybe a year, to find out if the board is on the inside what it looks like on the outside, and if the organization is on the inside what it looks like on the outside. Because you might find out, as I've done a couple of times, that it is not. So you agree to be a board member, and everything from the outside looks good, and you want to be a part of it, but then when you get on the inside, you realize that it is not very good. It's not healthy, it's not strong, it's not going in the direction that you personally support, so then don't invest and step off of the board. Are you willing to invest? And by that, I mean money. Are you willing to put money into that organization? The fourth question is, are there written expectations of board members? If there are not, there's going to be a problem. If you step in as a new board member and you suggest right up front we create written expectations, it's possible that you won't get anywhere. So if there are not written expectations to which you and other board members are held accountable, then you don't want to be a part of that board or probably of that organization in that way. The fifth question you want to ask is you're probably going to be able to spend somewhere between 20 and 40 hours a year in that role. Are you willing to spend between 20 and 40 hours a year in that role? Now be careful. Don't just answer, oh sure, that's nothing. No, the fact that you are being considered as a board member means that you've probably got a fairly full career going on already. You've probably got a lot of things that are demanding your time and a lot of interests. Are you willing to displace that? Which leads us to the sixth question. What is the opportunity cost if you step in and spend 40 hours a year on this board and then maybe a bunch of other side conversations with board members and leaders of that organization or conversations about that organization and attend events and all sorts of things, whatever it's required in a for-profit or not-for-profit setting, that means you're not going to be doing something else. What is that opportunity cost? If I'm going to say yes to a board or you are going to say yes to a board member role, you're going to be saying no to something. What are you going to be saying no to? Get specific because you don't do that. You'll just keep piling on commitments and you will not be able to fulfill that. So board membership is a very cool thing. It's a very important thing. It's a pivotal thing if it's a healthy board and leadership matters and you're going to be part of a leadership board. So consider those six questions. And as you do, and as you step into the board, and as you're a part of that board, you know that the board's job is to foster clarity and alignment, just as the director or the CEO or the founder's job is to create clarity and alignment. But from the board's perspective, that clarity and alignment is to be created only on a strategic level and never on a tactical level. You're supposed to be able to look out in broad brush strokes and say, we are clear about the general direction we're going. We're clear about the two, three, four, five priorities that the organization has got on a strategic level. And you do not ever get into tactics. 
as a board. That's not where you're supposed to go, except by way of conversation to test whether or not a strategy is viable. All right, your job as a board is to help foster clarity and alignment. Now, I've said many times, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, or if you've had a chance to watch some of our Hilt Academy YouTube videos, you can find that, of course, on YouTube, H-I-L-T Academy YouTube videos, that the job of the leader is to create clarity and alignment. That We have two jobs, always. It's like our right foot and our left foot, and our right foot and our left. Create clarity, create alignment. We do that with the board, but only on a strategic level with the board, if you have a board, obviously. All right, so there are three other things that a board is responsible for doing. Number one, the board is responsible for setting and approving a strategic plan. Strategic plans are incredibly important. The way we do strategic planning within our enterprises and those we love and support is a thing called strategic positioning. Now, we've talked about that in other settings before, but it has three steps to it, three phases to it. Phase one, which usually takes a good full day, is trend analysis. And then phase two, after we've analyzed a bunch of trends, is called scenario development. And then out of those scenarios, we identify which are the most likely and which are the most impactful of all the scenarios we may be facing in the next three to five years. And then we take our third step in strategic positioning, which is called initiative development. And that's where we identify the three to five, maybe six, but usually not initiatives that we need to focus on strategically in the next one to two to three years. And those are the things that the board will then use to be able to help guide the organization and to hold the senior team, specifically the CEO or the director accountable for their performance. So the job of the board is to to do these three things. Number one, to set and approve a strategic plan because that's your tool. And then number two, to support the CEO or the director. And by support, I do not mean that we just come alongside and say, you're doing a good job, Snow comes and pat him on the head. What I mean by that is that as a board member, we are supporting him or her in such a way that they are able to execute the strategic positioning or the strategic plan. That's what almost all of our conversation is about. What do you need from us to do that? And then we hold them accountable for doing that. So that's our second job. Our third job is what's often called a fiduciary responsibility. And it's way beyond finances. It's the understanding that we are stewards always acting in the best interest of the organization, not the best interest of any one person. We're not acting as a board in the best interest or even as a board member in the best interest of a person we happen to like a lot who works within the organization. We always take the entire organization's health and vitality as our number one goal. And that has several different facets to it. So a fiduciary responsibility isn't just finance. That's just part of it. But it's also our reputation. It's also our effectiveness. So someone who has fiduciary responsibility is responsible to act as a steward of the organization and to act unselfishly in support of the organization's mission and aims and goals. So you get that. We only have three jobs as a board to set and approve the strategic plan, to support the director in the accomplishment of that strategic plan. And by support, I mean hold accountable and give that person the feedback they need to be able to accomplish that strategic plan over the planning period. And then third, to play the role of someone who is a steward acting on behalf of the best interests of the entire organization, not of one person. That's pretty straightforward. You know, you've only got a little bit of time to do that. You've only got 20 to 40 hours in an entire year to do that. That's why you have such a small role. It is, as you know, a very leveraged role as well. 
So now let me share with you nine common mistakes that boards make. And I've seen these mistakes made by for-profit boards and by not-for-profit boards. I've seen them made by boards that I've been a part of and boards that I have helped to support. Here they are. Number one, the number one mistake is to assume that I, as, a, as an individual, and that therefore we, by extension, as a group of the board, have a lot of time to give to the job of board member. We have somewhere between 20 and 40 hours in an entire year. By the way, that includes all of the prep time. That includes time that I might spend on a subcommittee. That includes time that I would spend talking with people after a board meeting. So that would be, if I'm a part of a subcommittee, for example, I'm probably going to be closer to the 40-hour rule. That's not very much time. If I'm not a part of a subcommittee like the finance committee or the personnel committee or something like that, if I'm not part of one of those subcommittees, then I'll probably be spending more closely to 20 hours an entire year as a member of the board. The more frequently a board meets, the more likely it is that the board is going to get down into operational and tactical areas. So that's the number one mistake. I assume I have a lot of time and then everybody else assumes that the board has got a lot of time. We do not have a lot of time. Here's the second mistake. I assume that since I'm a good whatever, like I'm a good CEO personally, or a good director or a founder or a manager or a supervisor or an engineer or, uh, or a CFO or something like that, since I'm good at that, that's why I'm on the board because I'm a good CEO or I'm a good CFO. That is not why I'm on the board because I am not there to play that role. I can give advice, but that is not what I'm there for. The third mistake is assuming that the CEO or the director or the president or whatever you want to call them has got a dozen bosses or however many members are on your board. That I, if I'm a board member, I'm your boss and that Tim over here is your boss and that Helen over there is your boss and that you've got 5, 8, 10, 12, 30 bosses. That is often how I hear president CEOs talk to me. I've got 13 bosses and I just want to slap them and maybe have been known to do that. You do not have a dozen bosses. You have one boss. The boss, so to speak, is the board. Switch it around this way. When I'm a board member, if I think I'm the boss and when I show up and I tell the CEO what to do, the CEO should do it. Or I show up and tell the director what to do, the director should do it. Or worse, I show up and talk to somebody who's further forward in the organization, a manager or a supervisor, and say, you know what you ought to do is, and tell them what to do. And I'm shocked that they don't do it. That's because I have this common mistake that board members make as a part of how I think. And that is, I am not your boss. The board as an entire entity is your boss and the board gives direction as a group, not as a bunch of misaligned individuals. This is the most significant mistake that boards make and that CEOs or directors make. Here's the fourth mistake, assuming that I get to steer operations. I hinted at that a little while ago, but boards that get down into day-to-day -day tactics and operations always fail. The fifth mistake is this. We call this the Buffett error, as in Warren Buffett. He's the one who identified this and described it when he was a part of a board, a for-profit organization, obviously. And he came to realize over time that the reason he was on the board was because they were a bunch of friends of his. And being in that group and being accepted and being a part of that group was the most important thing to him. Well, healthy boards have a tremendous amount of conflict. And so if my number one reason of being a part of the board is to be together with the gang, I'm actually not going to be fulfilling my responsibility as a steward. We call that the Buffett error when it comes to boards. 
Here's the sixth mistake that boards make. They allow or foster the creation of anything other than a result-oriented work environment. Result-oriented work environments flow from a strategic plan where here are the results we're trying to achieve and they're very, very clear. All of our conversations and all of our work goes toward achieving those results. A result-oriented work environment or a result-oriented organization is the most effective kind of organization on the planet. If we allow another type of organization to creep in, the most common of which is a leader-oriented work environment, we will not be fulfilling our responsibility as a board. A leader-oriented work environment is one where all of our decisions are made around keeping the CEO or keeping the founder or keeping that big personality over there. If we do that, we're missing the mark as leaders. Or maybe we're allowing it to become a process-oriented work environment or a task-oriented work environment. The only one that is a healthy environment is a result-oriented work environment. The seventh mistake that we make as members of a board is not paying attention. I realize we got 20 hours or maybe 40 hours in an entire year and lots of stuff going on and we just get lazy and we don't pay attention. We don't pay attention to what's being said and what's being reported and what's not being said and not being reported because we literally just show up and we don't actually do our homework. We need to instead come prepared, ask really good questions, especially look for gaps and dive into the gaps so we can understand. The eighth mistake that we make as boards is not evaluating our own effectiveness. Regularly, the board needs to look at itself. Now, typically boards are outwardly focused. They're looking at the CEO or the president. They're looking at staff. They're looking at measurables. They're looking at revenues. They're looking at strategic plan instead of turning and looking at themselves as well. So it's very important that the board evaluates its own effectiveness. Not doing so is the eighth mistake. The ninth mistake we make as a board is electing the wrong chair. We often elect a chair who is weak. In fact, the biggest problem that not-for-profit boards have got is electing a weak chair. A chair who is not willing to enact the six disciplines of healthy boards that I want to share with you now. So when you elect a chair, you want to say, are you willing to hold us accountable to these six disciplines of a healthy board? Well, what are those disciplines? Well, hey, I'm glad you asked. Number one, you have written expectations of board members that are measurable and you review them at the beginning or at the end of every board meeting. That means the chair has to do that. The second discipline is that we hold one another accountable for living up to those written expectations. The third discipline is we never let an important question go unasked or an important observation go unsaid. The fourth discipline Always evaluate everything against results. That is the results in the strategic plan. The fifth discipline is to have yearly performance effectiveness evaluations of the board. <laughs> Not just by the board, but also of people who interact with the board. 
And the sixth discipline, use the mission, use the mission, use the mission. (laughs) It should show up in every board meeting. It should show up in every conversation. How does this help us accomplish our mission? How does that help us accomplish our mission? What's the best way to accomplish our mission? You got to use that mission. Those conversations need to happen with the board on a regular basis. And there needs to be a person who's willing to do that, to prompt those conversations and to see them through to their effective result. That should be the chair. So if you elect the wrong chair, there's nothing on earth that can save you. (laughs) Ah, there we go. Just a few ideas about how to create and keep a really healthy board because leadership matters. It's not everything, but it is definitely the first thing. And if you have a great board, there's nothing that can stop you. If you have a bad board, There's nothing that can save you. (laughs) Oh my. Well, you know what? I talked for so long without even taking one more sip of this will it rye, but I'm going to enjoy it right now. And I'm going to kick my feet up here in the studio and fill it with the smoke of this wonderful cigar. Eh, no, it's not a wonderful cigar. I'm going to fill it with the smoke of this average cigar. Too bad though, because the will it rye is way above average and the cigar from diesel is way below average. Hey, I hope you have having a great day. Look forward to talking again soon. Take care. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcasts, books, and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.